It's Tuesday, March 26, 2019, and you're listening to the Nate's Deck, an esports podcast exploring news events and various topics across competitive shooters, hosted by players for players. I'm your host, Jacob Haterade Bailey, joined as always by Christian Soupdab. This week, as we have already informed you in our last episode, uh, we are working on a shorter news week. Uh, as we are pre-recording this episode, so just a clarifying remark before we hop into our news and our major topic this week, which we will explore roster changes and various player shifts among the the games, the big three that we talk about most, and what it is, how it affects esports, and what our thoughts are on the subject. So look forward to that. First, we're going to hop right into Counter Strike. Some big news coming right on the heels of our latest episode msl and nico in talks with optic gaming csgo squad should note that this nico is not the nico uh, that many people are aware of on the uh, phase side of things but rather the nico that is currently on rogue and has only been on that list for a short amount of time soup how do you feel about these uh, changes and prospectives for optic coming out I think it's pretty good to see, actually. I like MSO a lot, and I like Nico. Um, you know, Rogue is kind of somewhat of a lower tier team, and I think MSO and Nico are a little, little higher level than where Rogue currently sits. So to just, you know, jumpstart them to a team like Optic, I think is definitely good for them, and I, I would like to see them playing on that lineup. Yeah, it's interesting. And we'll talk about this more. The the next article we're going to discuss kind of goes in line with this current uh, uh, news regarding optic gaming. We know config was in talks of going to cloud nine. We'll talk about why that is not the case here in a moment. But in optic bringing on these, these two players, especially Nico having just basically just been on rogue for just a short amount of time, you know, it, it's interesting to see how optic kind of moved away from North American counter-strike and into more of a, more of a European uh, sort of lineup, like phase kind of uh, mimicking what they're doing. Right. Not exactly sure how things are going to wrap up with that, but uh, in talking about config as well, they thought that Kiyoshima was going to be, or is leaving Cloud9, and so uh, talks were that Config was going to head there, but we know that to not be the case, as uh, Optic are looking to keep Config in favor of cutting Snappy. So, interesting to see how that's going to work out. We see that, basically, in my opinion, it looks like Optic are basically just a big jumble bag, and they're throwing players in, shaking it up, and see who comes out. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, originally, again, Config was an option, and I remember Yugi being an option because, you know, Cloud9 was looking at two potential people uh, to pick up from Optic. But assuming that they just go with cutting Snappy instead of, you know, two people, that means that Optic probably won't pick up both MSL and Nico. So if that's the case, who do you think they pick up out of the two? I'm leaning towards they'd probably go with MSL. Yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, we see, we'll talk about this more once we get into our major topic, but in in this instance, now that Optic have 
basically announced that they're going to keep config we see cloud nine sort of doubling back and wanting to keep Kiyoshima on the lineup. It's like, well, you know, how does that, how does that make you feel as a player to just, Oh, my organization is looking to replace me, but since they can't make the deal work, they're going to keep me like, yeah, it it makes me feel like second choice. Yeah. And you know, yeah, it's just, you know, they're more in favor of cutting snap because I mean, you know, they look down on him more. They don't think he's great as a, great of a player like i don't really know how the players are reacting to this kind of shuffle it it's kind of creates some tensions between players as well like i, I couldn't imagine like being keo and just real this article coming out and realizing that they were trying to replace me with config and then yeah, as soon right. as that as soon as that deal doesn't go down the organization comes back to me and says oh we think we'll keep you now it's like yeah well geez man like is there any like bad blood between the players at that point i I really don't know yeah i i don't know either it's it's just kind of crazy i I, you know c9 is a pretty big powerhouse in uh gaming as well as optic actually so these are two big orgs that pretty much can i would say do whatever they want really and i don't know if the players can do much about that and that seems to be the case in this type of scenario yeah so we'll have to see exactly how that that shuffle bag that uh, put every everybody's name in a hat and sort of pick it out. Um, sort of <laughs> reminds me of like the dodgeball scenario. Like you, you line everybody up and just you have your captain and you pick your teams and stuff like that. That's what it feels like to me almost. Yeah. So no way, for sure. By this article, if everything shakes out to how we currently see the things moving out, we have a cloud nine roster of Kiyoshima Yugi automatic rush and golden and then an optic gaming lineup of msl nico config refresh and cajun b we'll have to see come next week when this episode actually goes live those might not even be the teams and so that's i think that's why this episode is so important uh, that we get into sooner rather than later that is all we have for our Counter-Strike Roundup, we're going to be talking about some Siege tournaments and some big some big changes, some big expectations, and a big finish for an underdog at the Invitational that I sort of had my eyes on who didn't perform well. But Mantis FPS winning the $44,000 Korea Cup Challenge. Christian, how do you feel about Mantis uh, making this big of a big of an impact in the scene? And where do you see them going from here? Yeah, I, that's that's really awesome. I'm glad to see it. Like you said, they they kind of showed up at um you know the major and just didn't do what we expected. You know anything from them? I don't even know if they came out of the win. Come to think of it, um, I don't remember exactly, but they did not perform well, as you said, and. Just to see them right off of that, you know, a month or so later, go into a tournament in their region and just perform really well, come out on top. It's got to be really uplifting for the players. And it shows that at least within, Mm -hmm. you know, their region, they are performing at a high level. And, you know, that's the first step doing well with the people you play most often against. And from there, working your way up, you know, to a global uh, skill level. Yeah, this is a big deal for Mantis as well, because in an interview, they had noted um, this interview took place at the invitational that all of the players on Mantis are working 
working low end jobs as well as competing at this high level. So this, this sort of big win for them is going to really, really enable them to put in more practice and uh, working time towards the game uh, so that they can improve, get better. Absolutely. And be be able to deliver. So very excited for them and their finish here and looking forward to see what the Korean counter-strike can really bring to the table. Absolutely. In in an international spectrum. Mm Mm-hmm. Moving on to other places around the world where Siege is basically taking over the world, I feel like. I'm just so glad to see all of these tournaments, all of these uh, finishes come out from our top teams. Looking at Brazil at this point now, FaZe versus Immortals, and other games such as Team Liquid taking down um, or holding the top position in that region as well, just big finishes all around for a lot of our big teams and Mm -hmm. a lot of competition happening in that area. Absolutely. It's just, I'm really glad to see uh, what Ubisoft allows and works towards when it comes to this, you know, siege around the world as they put it, because it just, it just gives so many different teams the opportunity to, you know, make their presence known, show up in the scene, work their way up. You know, Counter-Strike has a lot, a lot of tournaments, but some of them are the same teams we always see. And then the other ones that have new teams, you don't even know exist. But I feel like Ubisoft put some effort into showing off some of these smaller tournaments where up and coming teams can go and compete and potentially work their way into the league one day. Yeah. Not, not just that, but also the uh, female teams as well. Yeah. That's a big Um, deal too. Making a big, making a big run uh, through it as well. Even qualifying for uh, DreamHack Rio. So we have some stiff competition all across the board and it doesn't matter your region. It doesn't matter male or female. You know, we just have good siege all around, good teams all around. And, you know, I'm very happy that we have such a, such a community and such a, such a game that allows for all of this to take place. Absolutely. It's great to see just how global it really is, how big this community is. 100%. Speaking of DreamHack Rio, Christian, uh, do we have any sort of information on that? I believe Ubisoft has given us uh, quite a bit to chew on. Uh, they have dropped some details on the tournament DreamHack Rio, which I'm pretty excited about. Uh, it appears the playoff weekend will begin April 19th and last to the 21st. And there are a pro- couple pro league teams, if not all of them, I'm not sure all the details that have been revealed. One of which is Team Liquid, another is FaZe Clan. Immortals, Black Dragon Esports, are our male teams. Do you want to take us through some of the female teams that are competing? I'd love to. I'd love to. We have um, uh, two all-female rosters have been invited uh, following a best-of-one map Swiss qualifier. Uh, We have Brazilian Crusaders Esports uh, coming to the team. Arguably the most successful siege roster uh, in the female the female realm the ncaa of you know ncaa women's uh, tournament if you will Uh, we have a lot of basketball going around in the united states right now for march madness so uh, quite cool to see our esports as well sort of delivering in that regards and then i believe that's the only one that has been confirmed at this point we do have others who have been uh invited but in terms of right now, that's the only confirmed that we have on the table, if I do recall. 
I think you're right. I'm not positive, but you know, I'm assuming we'll get more and more details in the coming weeks for DreamHack oh. Rio. Nope, nope. I apologize. Resilience Esports is also also okay. confirmed. Awesome. That's another female team, right? It is. Yep. Okay, cool. That's good. So now, just to confirm, the female teams only play against female teams, right? That is my understanding, yes. Okay, that's what I thought. So that's cool. I'm really glad to see, again, like we just were talking about, global, you know, all different types of people can compete in it. Siege is really growing, and I'm glad it is, and I'm really looking forward to DreamHack Rio. Yeah, so just to, just reading some of the interview, again, it looks like, a lot of this Rio tournament is going to be, there's going to be the all male, all female uh, realm. So we're going to get to see a lot of different things. Yeah. A lot of different strategies, a lot, you know, different ways to play the game um, as well. So, you know, I, I'm always a proponent of having, you know, multiple teams, multiple different regions and, and the fact that we also get to see uh, the women show off what they can do in the game as well. I'm so excited. So excited to see how how this all shakes down at DreamHack Rio 2019. Do we have a date uh, on this tournament? Uh, like I said, I think the playoff matches. If that, if uh, I don't know the extent and how many teams will be there, but uh, it'd be April 19th to the 21st. Wonderful. Looking, looking forward to that, and uh, we have a lot of good esports coming down the coming down the pipeline. We thought we had we thought we had the bulk of it already, uh, getting through all those major events and through Call of the World League, Call of Duty World League, Fort Worth weekend. But it just keeps on rolling through, and I'm so excited to see where we head. Moving on to Call of Duty, we had a big update, a lot of a lot of changes being made. Uh, I think in the theme of St. Patrick's Day, uh, the Shamrock and all is now live on all platforms. We got some blackout updates as well. Soup, you want to take us through what exactly stands out to you in this update and what can we expect? Yeah, it looks like there's a couple little events going on, different kind of small things just for us to get our hands on and enjoy. But the main premise, it seems, of this update is a lot of playlist options for players. So in the update, they mentioned that stockpile in multiplayer is available on all platforms. Hardcore Blackout is available on Xbox One and PC. Uh, Helcatraz Gauntlet is available on Xbox One and PC. Shamrock and All Event is available on Xbox One and PC. Blackout updates are on Xbox One and PC, and the new playlist updates are on PC. And there's a lot more going on in the update. Uh, we'll put a link in the description of the video so you can get all the details. There's zombies, multiplayer, blackout, all the different uh, game modes. Got a little taste, a little something going on in this update. But again, not super uh, involved with the gameplay itself, but just a lot of fun features for us to enjoy. Yeah, and you know, we we don't want to spend too much time going through a lot of the, the Call of Duty updates simply because we respect that Treyarch is putting in a just a ton of new features for their game and every update it feels like mm -hmm. and just, just to go through talk about each one you know we'd be here probably until you know kingdom come so mm -hmm. it's just a matter of there's a lot there a lot for you guys to unpack uncover and experience and you know quite frankly i'm i'm really excited with what treyarch has planned uh, for the future of black ops 4 and you know what we see from future call of duties because we know a lot of changes a lot of a lot of uh, updates, a lot of content just rolling through. Mm -hmm. 
Finishing up our Call of Duty news and content, we have E United is going to promote Simp to the starting lineup after the Fort Worth or following rather the Fort Worth tournament. Simp was just on the substitute lineup. However, they are moving J Cap. Uh, Jordan Kaplan down from his starting role to that substitute role. So the Simp and J Cap are basically just switching places, uh, just following the tournament. We're going to see exactly how that, how that shakes out for the lineup and, you know, how they end up doing tournament wise, how they end up doing uh, professionally uh, with the shakeup. Yeah. I think this is a good thing for them. For one, for one reason, obviously, like I said, we're going to get into our major topic, but it's nice that they're just swapping. They're making use of their sub. They're not just you know throwing players left and right, getting rid of them. They're actually making use of the roster they have. So that's one applaud I'm going to give them. Uh, the mm-hmm. second thing is I think this was a necessary change to see what they can do better. Um, they did not perform well at Fort Worth. I think they finished like 13th or something really low. I, I, I don't – I think they finished – one in one and two in their group. I don't even think they made it out of their group. They're in last with uh, only a twenty-seven percent map win. That's one of the worst in the tournament. So they definitely did not do well. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is the change they needed. Just you know, sometimes one player can make all the difference. So it looks like that's what they're uh, banking on in this change. Yeah. So it's interesting because Simp uh, was with his Phase Clan Black team, and they were first in the open bracket. And so while on that team, he was also, you know, the sub in for United and just mm-hmm. seeing the way that he, he was able to rally with that team and take that first, first place spot in the open bracket. Definitely, definitely changed the odds for his, his future in the United and bumped him up to that slot. So excited to see what they can do as a team. Excited to see how Simp sort of changes the game for E-United uh, long-term and as on the starting lineup. Just excited to see where they go uh, in their careers. Absolutely. That is all we have in terms of our Newsweek roundup. Again, just as a point of clarification, uh, we are working on a limited uh, Newsweek this week as we expect the departure of soup permanently no i'm kidding uh, just temporarily <laughs> oh, no, as he as he takes a just takes a vacation uh, steps away uh, from life a little bit and come back all tanned up yeah, from hopefully. the uh, from the sun and uh just feeling good hopefully so yep yep i will say we will cover all news that is missed out in the following episode so expect a little bit uh heavier news um following this episode's release just so we can make sure we hit something because you know esports is ever changing something crazy could drop tomorrow and we will have to cover it that kind of thing so don't worry you won't miss out anything if this is your main um access point for all the news and esports we will get to it of course and our next episode might be three hours long, but we're going to do it and we're going to slog through it and uh, we're going to cover it for you. So Absolutely. moving on from our news segment for this week, we are talking about something that's really, that really gets to us. You might have noticed that whenever we come across articles that suggest a roster shakeup or roster change, trades, uh, players leaving, players being kicked, 
it really bothers us a little bit. And we just wanted to go ahead and make an episode, make a, make a podcast, just talking about that in length, that topic in length, why we're choosing to discuss it. And just our thoughts, man. We want to we want to put our opinions on the table, just uh, for the sake of esports, for the sake of the of the games that we love, for the sake of the communities, and just really dive deep into player changes and roster shakeups. So, Christian, wh- why are why are we discussing this? We we talk a lot about it. I think we go. I know I go a little bit off the deep end when we discuss this in our news segments about these roster changes. Why why are we why are we devoting an episode to this? Well, it's honestly become a part of the life cycle of esports. It's a common occurrence. It's an everyday thing. Uh, these roster changes and these shakeups um, to the point where news outlets, players, uh, the community, professionals, coaches, they all expect it. It's not anything, you know, when something happens, you know, it's the shocking in that, oh, wow, okay, this team might be different now. But the actual change itself isn't the shocking thing it's become normal and it's something uh not to speak for you but i believe you and i both don't necessarily agree with in the fullest Mm -hmm. degree uh we see a lot of issues with it and we just want to sit down and discuss the issues that come of it how it can be improved our uh, full opinions on it like jacob said you know through the episodes every episode it feels like there's a roster change and we've covered those and we've you know somewhat given our thoughts on the matter but now we really wanted to sit down and just go through it piece by piece and really tackle the topic as a whole yeah so where do we even begin maybe we start by going down just the games uh, i think i think that's the best so do we want to start with our worst offender uh i think that'd be best because i think that game is actually the one that's really really prompted this topic i think it would have happened either way but after recent events, it's really put this topic ahead of the schedule, I guess. Yeah, so that game we're talking about is, in fact, Call of Duty, where we see just just in the past couple weeks, a complete disbandment of certain teams, multiple players being shoved into different roles and multiple players being released from their contracts or just made free agents, people leaving entire teams being gathered up by different organizations Mm -hmm. and what does that where does that leave us in terms of the call of duty competitive community in terms of the the relationship between players what is the status of call of duty it's it just it it feels like a wasteland sometimes is the best mm-hmm. way i can put it i remember when we first started our podcast we were just coming off of the scwl qualifier and there was a massive shockwave of just honestly absolute destruction across the scene with just teams losing their orgs and getting traded and becoming free agents and then right before F- fort worth we had what people were calling roster mania because so many rosters are getting changed mm-hmm. and it was just almost unbelievable to keep track of i remember when we went down the list of changes I like talk for like five minutes straight, just reading off every player in what team they left. It was just, it's out of control. And again, to answer your question, like, like I said, it just leaves call of duty in a, a wasteland of just who knows what the heck is going on. You can't analyze the mm-hmm. meta. You can't analyze teams. 
you can't expect where players are going to go. It's just really, really out of control. Well, Christian, why does this happen? I guess orgs just want to win. I don't, I don't know all the extent. I, I feel like at the heart of it, the orgs are causing it. I don't think players are just like, uh, I want to leave. Sometimes that happens, which so players mm-hmm. aren't entirely innocent for sure. But uh, typically, at least in the Call of Duty scene, primarily it feels like the organizations do it to just win more, to gain more money, influence, uh, promotions. I'm not really sure. What do you think the cause of it is? Yeah, I don't. It's really hard to nail down because you see all of these articles and you see all of these tweets and all of these messages that seem to suggest that the players themselves are stepping out of the team when it's completely the opposite. You know, a lot of them are being forced to leave. A lot of them are just being released from their contracts. A lot of them are being bought by other organizations. And, you know, I, I'm hesitant to say that the organizations buying other players out of their contracts to get them on their team are bad because it's like, okay, well for the player, that seems to be uh, confirmed work, you know. Mm-hmm. There's there's job security in that, but it's not permanent. Yeah, they're only they're only aiding in the problem at hand, where players at the professional level level are too easy to just bounce around. Yeah, it's almost like why even bother writing up and signing a contract, right? Because yeah. some org can buy it out. You could cancel it. You could, you know, some players take a break, which that's not related to this topic necessarily, but it's still another example of how a contract just doesn't matter. Almost, Yeah, exactly. Almost does not matter. And you got to think like, at this rate, what are these, what are the rates in the contract? What are the terms of the contract? Or is it, yeah, you're signing up to play for three months with this? Because anymore, yeah, it just feels like you, you wouldn't sign a contract that's signing for a year. Because yeah, it feels that way because they're just going to let you go in like six months anyway. Mm-hmm. We, what does it matter? So in call of duty specifically, I want, I want you to sort of take the ball on this because I think you know more about it than I do, but you know, you said it was a wasteland. It, it seems to be just this barren place of no man's land, you know, don't have a player tread out here or else they're going to get annihilated sort of thing. How often does that happen between between these players? So just typical roster changes happen weekly. I won't say daily. It's not that bad, but several times a week. Well, I mean, if you think about it, when we do an episode, I'm just guaranteed we have at least one to two, sometimes three changes to a roster. And that's on a normal week. When it comes to, you know, a tournament before or after, there's you know, too many for the week. There's so many changes, you know, a whole team could drop off and right there's five players somewhere else. So circumstances do matter in, a, in relation to if there's a tournament or not, or a big event, but I would say at least one to two players, probably more a week will end up on a different team. It feels like maybe every two weeks, but in the wake of a tournament before and after I'd say there's at least eight, eight to 10 players who wind up on a different team on average that's absolutely amazing and you know we won't dive deep into it's why it's okay or why it's not okay until we cover each of the games in their current state but 
Call of Duty just seems to be this place where we see its absolute worst. Now, you may think, well, it's worse in this game outside of these. Well, it could be. It could be worse in Dota or League, but since we don't cover those, we don't know the, the extent to that either. But from our perspective, the, the three games that we're covering, we see the very worst end in Call of Duty. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, out of what we know, that is the bottom of the barrel. So Counter-Strike also suffers from this pretty heavily. It, it's not as... I don't think it's as prevalent, but we're starting we're starting to see that sort it, of mentality it where it just like feels like it's getting worse. Yeah, it feels like it's getting worse. Maybe that's just because we we started to pay attention to it more since the the beginning of this podcast. Mm-hmm. That's entirely possible. That is true. But the fact that we're seeing what we just talked about at the beginning of our episode with the with the shakeup in config and Keo, like it's almost a complete disconnect from the organization and the player themselves to say, Hey, we're going to replace you. And then once that deal doesn't work out, like, Oh, hold hold on, hold on. We'll still keep you around. There's like, that's just mind boggling to me to know that that's, that's how organizations are treating their players because I just thinking of a real world situation. It's like, well, two people interview for a job position, right? And it's like one of those people are going to get the job and the other one's not. Mm -hmm. There's going to be somebody who does not get that job. And I actually experienced this personally recently, actually, where, you know, you go up against these other people who applied for the one position. And then you get that email that says, hey, we decided that we would go with somebody else. But then to receive a call that says, hey, the first person dropped out. Are you still interested? No, I'm not interested because I was second pick. I don't want to be your second pick. In similar way, I mean, this may not be actually something that would happen, but it's like, you know, we have two people for a job and it's like, you know, we pick this. We pick person A. And then later, it's like, uh, actually, we don't want you. We don't want person A. It's like, you can't just do that. That's no. not how it works. No, that's not how it works at all. Now, there there are some stipulations to that, which, which we'll get to in a bit, uh, specifically how it seems, I, I would suggest that 90% of all professional players in esports are contractors, if you were to give them a, de- a defined role to find a job title but at the end of the day it's like you still have to treat your contractors you know by the root word by a contract and it just almost seems like those those agreements are just completely fabricated they don't mean anything in the long run yeah it's it it kind of feels like when you're on a team the only real indicator of that is you get a jersey and sometimes they don't even give them the jersey, but so, yeah, the sometimes jersey. they give them the sweatshirt, you know. Yep, yep. Sometimes they get the sweatshirt, but the only thing is they give them some type of iconography of that org, and then a month later they're somewhere else. Two weeks later they're somewhere else, and that's all the identification we need to know. No contract, no real job, you know, a, you know documentation. It's just here's your sweatshirt. You're on the team for this week. All right, see ya. It's just it just seems like a total disconnect. And 
you know, that's why we'll get to this in a bit, but teams like Astralis, teams like Complexity even mm-hmm. in our NA scene and in our abroad scene, it's like these are the organizations that people should strive to be. And we'll get to that in a bit as we move into Siege as well. So we see Siege is kind of like currently our best case scenario game. Right. We don't see a whole lot of shakeups and changes. Usually if you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm incorrect in this, but I think of teams like our current G2 roster that used to be on Penta. I think of our uh, Team Liquid team. I think of our a lot of our higher level teams, our NA teams as well. They don't go through that those massive changes on a regular basis. You know, they do still see changes, but those changes are after after some time, at least from what from what I can see. And it's not a matter of, you know, changing three players at once. It's a matter of swapping out one role. Right. And I think Siege, you know, it's, you know, six to eight years from now or something, we might have a different Siege, but just for argument's sake, um, it might not be that way. You know, Counter-Strike's a lot older, so there's more teams, more history, more players. Siege may not have a big pull or ability to negotiate, so that might be another reason why I don't just see mm-hmm. players shifting left and right. They get the team and they're like, okay, we're going to stick with this because we have these players. This is a guaranteed lineup. So mm-hmm. if it weren't like that, we can't know for sure if the roster changes and shakeups would be as frequent. But as it currently stands, it seems like orgs get the, the players and they stick with them and they continue investing in them, which is mm-hmm. good. And it could just simply be the nature of the game. Siege is, I would say, the most complex out of the three games that we talk about. And I think, you know, let's say you're on a a Counter-Strike team and I'm on a Counter-Strike team or Call of Duty. It's especially Counter-Strike. It doesn't change that much if I go to another team because strats somewhat change. But the general premise of Call of Duty, or or, I'm sorry, Counter-Strike stays really true to whatever team you're on. But Siege strategies and roles, like you said... Anything like that could change drastically by joining another team. So -hmm. it's really hard just to throw people around because a person that might be top fragging on their team might not do anything on your team because they just don't synergize with your strategies. Exactly. Yep. Yep. You're taking like if you took a gunner just to an entry frag, you know, your your ash and your sledge and your buck mains and you you took them to a team that really needed a support main that really needed a hard breach or something like that they're not going to be able to perform. You know, yeah. pe- people are good in their roles and something that they get accustomed to. And so it's really hard to have those changes. You almost need to make a one for one. Right. You, and not to, not to say that Counter-Strike doesn't have that because obviously you have those entry frag and those support roles or something like mm-hmm. that. But th- those roles are not so different to where, you know, somebody couldn't adapt and train for the other. I guess, I guess the same the vice versa could also be said about siege, but there's a lot more to learn in my opinion. Yeah, I would say so. And call of duty is really fast pace and, you know, constant going, going, going. It feels like, um, depending on the game mode, there's a lot of classes and a lot of guns. So call of duty again is not, it's kind of in the middle where CS goes really hardcore. Katie and siege is extremely tactical. So call of duty falls in the middle 
And maybe because it's in that void is why we see a lot of those changes. So I don't really know. But I will say it's kind of interesting to point out that while covering this podcast, it feels like Siege, we've noticed, out of the spots that are changed most frequent, I would say coaches see the most Mm -hmm. frequent roster changes. And I think that speaks for what we're saying when it comes to Siege being the most complex and most tactical of the three because the coach is going to be the one that really sits down and analyzes with the in-game leader these maps and strategies. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and that's interesting because, you know, usually you see a lot of the coaches go with the team in mm-hmm. Counter-Strike. Mm-hmm. In Siege, you see the exact opposite. It's like, oh, we need we need something different. We need to bring something different to the table, and we're going to bring in this coach in order to help us do that. Right. It's like That's more reminiscent of, like, your professional sports your football and your basketball and stuff you know a lot of them have a lot of tenure yeah but when you need something different you bring in a coach who has a different way of thinking about things absolutely and i don't know the extent of the coach in siege whereas when they can talk we know counter-strike is only pause times in between and call of duty has adopted recently the only in between map Uh, picks and map swaps so i don't know the extent of the siege coach if they can talk all game or not if that's a case then obviously that's even more of a reason why we'd see coaches getting swapped a lot because they are almost a sixth man on the team Mm -hmm. yeah so interestingly enough we have completely different ways of viewing this in the three different games a lot of different uh we see a lot of different things in in these roster changes and shakeups from coaches to just full teams. It seems like, so when is, when is this acceptable? When, when can we say, yes, this is an okay thing to do. No, it is an okay thing to do. Maybe we'll start with the nose. You know, why, why is it not okay? When is it not okay to make these changes? I think just, Again, it kind of looking back at Call of Duty three days before a tournament, a week before a tournament, I just, it, it almost feels like the org is saying, we don't have faith in our own lineup. Let's do whatever we possibly can to snag up other players so we make it big in this tournament. I just think that's not a good thing to do. And again, you know, right after the qualifiers of CWL, we saw all those changes. Well, so... Again, it's a really terrible environment, but at least it's a little bit more reasonable as to why. Because, you know, some of these teams, they didn't get to qualify. They can't play. So what are they going to do? Well, they're not going to keep putting money into these players that aren't making the money. So from a business perspective, that does make sense. It doesn't make it more okay morally or, you know, in an environment to keep it healthy with your players. But it's a little bit more understandable as to why it happens. But right before a big tournament, just to drop your five man, I just I don't think that's acceptable. It's really not. I agree. And from a from a business perspective, you know, maybe I'm out of line when I say this, but the tournament money that the organization could possibly acquire is probably just pennies. It's probably just pocket change into the amount of money that they can bring in via sponsors. Yeah. Via outside you know, investments via uh, agreements and such like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, I don't see like, Oh, a hundred thousand dollar tournament, you know, where the top team gets 
25k it's like is that is that really what's amounting to your guys's bottom line yeah I, I don't know and i was actually thinking about this at the beginning of the episode i would love to see you know the the books for the funding and the money and the the budget and the ex, this ex, what's been expended for an org because i just i i just wish i could see it because i have to think how much does it cost to buy new players how much does it cost to potentially buy out your players so you can get rid of them if you want to and when does that when do you break even with the amount of money you could win at the tournament you know what i mean like i I wish i could see these numbers because i i I just i don't see why spending the money and doing the effort to get rid of players and pick up new ones just to try to win money in a tournament like you're saying how is that financially good I mean, it must be because I don't know why else they do it, but I just wish I had the details, you know? I would I would think that it would be in people in these businesses' better interest to build a brand, you know, have their team that they stick with, get a fan base going, mm-hmm. and that fan base grows mm-hmm. because they have consistency, you know? This fan of, let's just use, I don't know, uh, organization across all three like team liquid sure uh why would you give people tell people market all this merchandise hey join you know team liquid join in support of team liquid and not to pick on liquid i love liquid a lot i think they're a good org but mm-hmm. anyway the point the point is is that why would they why would they market all of this to people sell it, sell the items to those people, and then make changes to the roster that those people bought the merchandise for. You know, people don't... Maybe I'm weird, but I don't think either of us are. We get behind players. Yeah, We don't don't get behind orgs. We get behind orgs when they have the players on the team that we like. Yeah, and I think that is definitely true in this scenario. Now, we'll get into this a little bit later with the possible franchise leagues, but for me personally, for the Overwatch League, I root for the team that's close to home. You know, that's kind of like Mm -hmm. a home spirit kind of thing. We don't have the luxury of that in these three games, so it's almost certainly a player following because I'm not just going to be a Team Liquid fan to like Team Liquid. They're so different across all the different games that are a part of that I just can't just be a team liquid fan. There's no real, there's no content, no context to that. It's the players. I really, really like a liege and counter-strike. For example, if you were to switch teams, I'm not just going to love liquid. I'm going to like whatever team he's on because I really like a liege. So I just, again, like you said, we follow players. And it's like, if rogue and siege if all of the players just got dropped by rogue and got picked up by somebody else i would take the rogue charm off of my gun in siege and change it to whatever org that they're now on if one is available it's Mm. just like i don't understand why organizations sometimes feel that people are supporting them solely because of the name of the team rather than the players that are on the team. I I don't understand that logic. Yeah, I mean, you might 
have that in those really freaking huge names like phase and optic or something mm-hmm. which i think those as an org do have followings yes i believe that too but all of the other orgs that we see i don't think are the case and i yeah. honestly think phase in other games and optic for the most part we don't always see them making the player changes typically i think they stick with them not so much in counter-strike more recently phase has at least been keeping i'd say 80 percent of the roster intact over the past six months or so Mm -hmm. so i think phase and optic are more aware of that degree of roster changes versus the org uh, community for one thing so but the majority of these other orgs i don't they they don't they're not liked because of the org like you said well so i think of 100 thieves also in call of duty mm-hmm. why why do people like 100 thieves yeah i like i support them because of nade shot yeah like i know nade shot i, I don't i don't know him but i, I know his i know the name right you know, he's big in call of duty and he's like one of the ogs and stuff like that so you you know people who grew up with nade shot as as sort of like the pinnacle of professional call of duty the big name the person you wanted to see you sort of get this inclination to support them so that that is an entirely different scenario and so it's all like it's all sort of uh subjective you know there's different levels of it but to completely ignore the fact that people support your organization because of the players that you have on it or the region of players you have on it like in we have SK. Um, I'm sorry, MIBR in Counter Strike, who are far and above supported by Brazil. It's mm-hmm. they're in, in, amazingly popular in Brazil because that's their team. They have the Brazilian lineup, and they can do that. You know, and it and it didn't matter. That's where I was going with this: is whether that team, Fallen, Coldzera, and company. We're on Luminosity, on SK, on MMBR. It didn't matter. People supported them. Yeah, probably 90% of Brazil has purchased New Jersey's over the past two years. Exactly. So it's like they keep changing this. People don't, people follow the players, especially yeah. in Counter-Strike, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. So when we went to the E-League in Atlanta, my wife is a huge fan of uh, Cold Zera and Fallen and Fur. She really likes them. So she got an SK jersey and she was super hyped to wear it. And she wore it when we watched the games at home. And, you know, a couple months after, four months after, so five months after Atlanta, they're not on that. They're on their MIBR roster. You know, they're moving towards creating MIBR. So she's kind of bummed. She has this SK jersey that doesn't really stand for the players she likes. And that's how it happened to me with Envy and I think you with Luminosity. And mm-hmm. who knows how much longer that Cloud9 hoodie you have is going to really represent I'm just going to burn it. Yeah, it, it's just really <laughs> frustrating. You can't support the players you like because they're thrown around so much. It's it's so infuriating to, you know, we're talking dollars at this point. And, mm-hmm. you know, call it what you want. Call it it's like, oh, well, you guys are just, you know, talking about nonsense and not, not all – I think that many people feel the way that we do. I think so for sure. To just throw away money, it feels like. 
Sometimes, absolutely. In, in support of organizations that don't keep the players that we want on those lineups. Yeah. yeah I, I absolutely love FaZe as a team. Will I buy any of their merchandise? No. Because I know it's only a short amount of time away. But I'm about done buying professional game merchandise at all unless it's unless like, it's the league franchise thing exactly right? like mlg yeah. mm-hmm. or uh you know e-league stuff like that i'll buy that i'll eat that stuff up all day long the organizations could mean nothing to me yeah because they're not consistent well imagine being an accelerate fan accelerate gaming okay and call of duty you're a fan of mm-hmm. accelerate gaming all the players in that lineup you buy your ticket to fort worth or whatever and you know, two days before, you're getting hype. You're getting. You're probably flying to what Fort Worth, whatever, you, wherever you're at. You get there. You see the headline: entire Accelerate Gaming roster is now free agents. Well, sick. I'm so glad I bought this ticket to see these players play. It's just like, what a kick in the teeth. You know what I mean? It's just. It just feels like throwing away money to us, and probably to a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. I would presume, and. You know, not to even think you see all of these people getting their jerseys autographed, their sweatshirts autographed and stuff like that. Their posters autographed by these players. And then they're not on the team next week. Yep. Well, it's like that's why I ended up buying that MLG or that MLG clutch black T-shirt I have. That's just all black and says clutch in gray letters on it. And it has the MLG logo on the left. I can get that signed by any player and there's no context of the team exactly and that's cool but i i would be really you know i'd feel bad if i had kenny s sign my envy jersey when i bought it and he's just not on envy like what the heck it just just doesn't make any sense anymore (laughs) exactly there's a context to it because he was on that team at that time but there's no longevity to it right like i wear that jersey now to another event and the team's completely different the Kenny S that's on my Jersey that I signed just looks out of place because mm-hmm. he's not on the team anymore. And it's like, dude, this just doesn't, this just doesn't mean anything. Now, perhaps there's some merit in okay. Luminosity. Uh, one Columbus, there would be some merit in me having like a luminosity poster or a luminosity shirt signed by all the players because that's relevant, right? Yeah, it's like memorabilia at that point. That that's memorabilia at that point. But to have something signed or, you know, autographed and then them no longer be on that team and they didn't there's no context for it just feels really bad. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. It just it it kind of just feels like pointless at that point like you said. It's just so, and I I think orgs need to take put in the effort to make them like be liked as an org if they want that like you're talking about um nade shot with 100 thieves you support 100 thieves a lot because you really like nade shot and you like what he's doing he's doing a great job with the org let's say 10 years from now nade shot retires would you still be a 100 thieves you know fan probably because of what he did for the Mm -hmm. org he really established it he put forth the effort to make an org like we mentioned with phase and optic they have that level of um, uh, uh, well, I don't know the word to use here, but that level of respect they've earned and things mm-hmm. like of that nature. Um, and I think at prestige, some point, like prestige, sure, yeah. Um, 
that I think Nade Shot has been developing with 100 Thieves, and I think that's what other orgs need to strive to do. I completely agree, and and currently it just doesn't doesn't seem like some they orgs care. care. Yeah, some orgs care, and uh, we'll get to those we'll get to those near the conclusion, concluding parts of this episode. But this also cannot be good for players. Yeah, right. In the professional scene, you know, you never get a chance to really get to know your teammates, to get to know your role. And to get to perform at the level that you're expected to, because you're always changing hands. Mm -hmm. That can't be healthy from a player's mentality, from a morale standpoint. Right. It's now just, it's just not, I would imagine. Yeah. And maybe it just ends there, but I would, I would imagine being any of these players on any of these games to just change hands in these transitions where it's like, you know, now I have to change a role or now I have to change teammates or now I'm playing on a team with people from another country. So I'm not going to understand them uh, at first or mm -hmm. so on and so forth. There's so many variables that are just seem to be thrown out the window yeah. for the sake of, you know, building a super team or something like that. Exactly. Cause like, I can't imagine, you know, I get picked up and I'm put on Envy in Call of Duty or something. I have like aches or an assault playing with them, or I've been thrown on evil geniuses and I'm with Zodic and attach or something like in royalty. That'd be super cool. Right. And I'm like, wow. Okay. I'm out of home. I like playing with these guys. We're a cool team. We're a good team. I'm, I'm with some all-stars here. And then a month later, I'm just moved to a team. It's like, wow, well, it was fun guys. I made some friends and I probably won't really see them anymore. Like that just sucks. I I couldn't imagine. And, you know, especially when, let's say, uh, Flusha and Keo, for example, they're on an NA team. So they were likely, I, I don't know for this for sure, but they were likely boot camping and living and practicing in the States. Yeah, I'd imagine. And so to be home and then to be kicked out, you now have to find your way back home. You know, yeah. maybe they pay for all that expense, but just just the just the sheer point of having to do it, of having to fly home or something like that, or maybe they stay. Just the option being there, the fact that well, I'm no longer employed by this NA a team or this EU team, and now I have to fly back from wherever I was practicing with my team in order just to be home or be somewhere where I can, you know, find a place to work or perhaps keep playing or stream or whatever. It just seems like a daunting task to continue yeah. to ask players on a seemingly regular basis. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a lot of factors uh, like we discussed that just show that this is not a good thing uh, in, you know, a pretty high degree. And in most cases, Jacob, do you have any moments when it is okay? When is it okay to make roster changes and shake up your lineup, if ever? I think the my first inclination is to think about other sports, such as football, basketball, and the like, where players are traded. And it's at the mutual agreement of the players and the organizations themselves that say, hey, we're not working well in this scenario in this roster 
and with the permission and contractually based, no rules are being broken. Everybody's on good ground, standing ground. Trade hands. You know, maybe we tried to put this person in this role, but he should really be in this role. And you have two instances of that on two teams. And by trading those, you now fill those roles with people who can successfully do them. That is that's great. That is that is fantastic. To mm-hmm. better you have to look at the player first. Too too right. often it feels like that the organization is at the helm. Organization first. No, if you if you want to build a good organization, you start with your players. Right, absolutely. So you're saying that uh, just general win-win scenarios for Oregon players and just There's, the teams is what organizations should strive to achieve when making any type of changes. If both the player and the organization win, mm-hmm. great. But too often it feels like somebody is losing, and more than not, it's the player. I agree. Um, I would say another time that it's okay, as we just saw, applause, applause to United when you actually make use of your roster, your subs. You swap them out. You saw mm-hmm. promised. You saw potential in one of your uh, members of your roster, and you sub them in. You give them that shot. No one has lost a job. No one is being moved. No one has to fly somewhere else. He's simply still on the org. He's just actually moved up in the roster for right now. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good to do. That's nothing has, fine. Nothing's really changed, but so much has changed. So that's another time I think it's okay. I I think another time that it may be okay. There's this is a certain level I think, but if you're with a team and you've had a five man roster and you go a whole year, eight months, ten months, somewhere in there, and you've gone to several major tournaments and you are simply not winning and financially there's an issue developing, you may need to look at statistics and the contracts and see what needs to change. And sometimes the players isn't putting up numbers and you know, it's still not really okay, but if there's becoming a financial issue and you need to win, I think there is a level or a point where a roster change is acceptable. Oh, I agree. But the thing that I was to add a number four to that, mm-hmm. it has to be within the bounds of an, of an ethical contract. Sure. Cause these buyouts happen way too often. Mm-hmm. It feels like, and you're not you're not giving your players enough ample time in order to perform at that at that level to right. be able to assimilate. Well, that's be, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. With the ten month or a year, you've given a year to let this team a, exactly try to put itself together, synergize, work well together, become a team. Really, like Astralis has. They, you know, I think the Astralis lineup that we see now is about a year in the year in the making, roughly, give or take. And they are that team. And I think if other orgs would just give the time to their players to really become a team, mm-hmm. we would not see these changes because throwing people around left and right is never going to end up better than five players who are best friends that no. play perfect together. It's just never going to happen. All you're doing is stressing out your players. Mm-hmm. You're stressing out you as an organization. You're stretching out. You're stressing out your fans as well. Yeah, it's true. And I think anyone who would argue the point I just made, I would say look at FaZe or Optic. They do well. They have amazing players on there. But almost every tournament FaZe shows up, they disappoint. They don't pull it off. And I think that's 
the difference with these teams that have spent so much time together working together opposed to a assembled powerhouse team. Nothing against FaZe or those players, definitely not. But I'm just saying in perspective of a team with a year in the making versus picking up just nutty fraggers. So there's an interesting way. If we look at this as any other organization, as any other industry, as any other job, mm-hmm. a company loses money when hiring a new person, when that player, when that person, when that employee leaves within the first six months. So I don't, I think six months, honestly, is a decent amount of time to say, okay, let's give this person, this team six months. And if we need to make changes, we'll make changes then. But when you make those changes, you have to recognize, hey, we're going to make this change six months. We're going to make this change six months because you're not, if you're, if you're making these changes within that amount of time, you're not giving these players enough time and ability to give you the value that you have expected from them to expect that value to be instantaneous is not only laughable, it's just not possible. It's completely not even applicable to say that we're going to bring this person on the team. And if in two months, two, three months, they don't give us the value that we've given back to them, it, you're not going to achieve what you want to. You're always going to be upset. You're always going to be disappointed because you, you never built, you never built a foundation for them. You never said to them, I want you to come into this team and give us the value that we are giving you pay us back that that when you make an agreement with an employer that is essentially what you're doing you're saying when we hire you we are going to get value out of you as an employee in exchange for this and so often in esports it feels like that is completely thrown off the table where we don't care about the value of our players we just care about the value that you bring in and so if you don't bring that in immediately as soon as possible you're not valuable to us right i agree i I think that is a good point you need to take everything based on a certain standard or convention to base it off of and typically we use just the real world as a good premise for that of course esports operates a little differently but generally speaking all of these things apply in a very similar way these are still jobs at the end of the day still not necessarily selling us a product but trying to make money by doing something and all these players should be viewed as employees like you said and if we you know and you might you might be listening to this and you might say well jacob christian that's great they're contractors at the end of the day okay that's great you can contract people all you want but if you contract them in terrible situations in lose-lose situations as often as you do you're not going to be able to continue to get good contractors you're going to run yourself down into a hole where people that word is going to spread don't don't make a deal with these people because they're only going to screw you don't make a deal with these people because they're not going to give you what you deserve don't make a deal with these people because you're going to lose at the end of the day i don't know why that's so hard to sort of foresee i don't know why that's so hard to sort of 
just sort of, I don't even know the words to say about it. It's just seems obvious to me. And maybe Mm. it's obvious to you, to you too, Christian, but for some reason we keep seeing this play, this tug and pull where it's like, we're trying to bend the rules to get what we want so bad. And you're not, they're going the opposite direction. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just another, to add on another reason, it's like you said, putting your players first, player health is important. And I think just imagine you and I are on a team and we have this other guy who's an amazing fragger, super good player, but he's really, really toxic. And I think as an org, you need to look at that and say, okay, this is a moment where we have to let a player go for the health of the, the other four. I, I think those are important because it might be that person's behavior personality anyway, mm-hmm. and they might not just be happy on that lineup. They might be completely non-toxic on another team. And I think just the majority player health is really important to keep in mind. Again, keep putting your players first. So if there's some situation like that, then I think that's another case where it's totally okay to make changes. So I went on the rant there for a while and Basically, my point was, was that you need to have moral and ethical standards for and value your players. There has to be some standard that you need to uphold across any situation. And so we're going to move into a close now in this discussion. And we we just want to point out a couple of the teams that come to our minds who who do this and who do this well. So the first I think of is Astralis. Now. Mm-hmm. You might you might be listening to this and you might say, well, it's because they're per- they're they own themselves. You're right. That's exactly why. And they all see the value in each other. They yeah. all see the value of sticking together as a team and recognizing that through each other's uh, dips, through each other's valleys, they can all lift each other back up to the top. And you see that time and time and time again. They just continue to have the drive. They continue to be happy. They continue to win tournaments. Yeah. And you could, go ahead. T- yeah, you could, t- you know, you could argue that's their aura. That's their aura, Jacob Christian. That, you know, they can do whatever they want. Exactly. They can do whatever they want. So if they really wanted to, they could be kicking people off left and light, right like any other org, but they don't. They're choosing not to. Exactly. They're choosing not to, and you saw that you saw that with VP as well, Virtus Pro. Yeah, they longest kept the like same, lineup together ever. Yes, they kept the same players because they believed in each other. Now, when it came down to it, they decided, you know, we just have to part ways. This is the best thing for us. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, I don't want to talk for Pasha and for Neo and for Taz, but. I would I would think that they have a high amount of respect for each other. Absolutely. And it's not like, you know, you said when it came down to it, they had to do it. That was like five years or something in the making, right? Three to five years, somewhere in there. It's not like, you know, they were together for a while and then it fell through. It's no, they put so much investment into that team. Mm-hmm. And they they, you know, they prospered for some time. But I think just player age, the meta changing, all those different factors eventually kind of came together i think that's what we talked about where it's like you give it a year and you see how it works out and if it's still not happening you make the changes and i think that's what happened to them after so long 100 and then this is this is a lot to do with counter-strike and i think we see this in cs well we'll get into siege as well um but 
in Counter-Strike, I also think complexity is doing something very special. You see their CEO just, he's at the tournament. He's in the stands rooting for his players. And even if they don't, like we just saw it at the last major, even if they didn't make it all the way into the, into the playoffs, he was in full support of them. He, he wants, he's behind his team. And sure that, that roster of complexity might make some changes, might have some shuffling, but when he finds a team, I believe his name is Jason. He just gets behind them and he rallies behind them and he wants to build them up. We don't see that often enough. We don't, we, we don't see that sort of trust and expectation and lift up because even after they, they fell out of the Katowice major, he came out in a tweet and said, we can, we'll continue to fight and we'll continue to work towards this. And that kind of perspective is so needed in esports, and we don't see it often enough, in my opinion. So complexity, I believe, has something special on their on their side of the organization as well. Absolutely, I think just any any form of management, I'll say, or ownership that can demonstrate that they care. They're not, you know, they're obviously looking to earn money so they can stay in business, but that's not what's at the top of their mind. You know, they care more about the game, the players, the tournaments. That's what they care about. They're not thinking about the money when they go into any tournament. Uh, it's just more about the players, like I said. And I think that's mm-hmm. just a critical aspect to have when it comes to any, not just esports, just any sport, really. Yeah. And so often we, we just, we miss out on the player to organization interaction. And so I wish that more CEOs in esports would be like Jason Lake, the CEO of complexity. I just wish we would see more of that interaction, more of that just sort of from the top perspective of, Hey, listen, I care enough about my teams to be vocal in support of them, to be on their side and to Mm -hmm. just rally behind them. Absolutely. I mean, just another incredible example is owner owners caring Uh, Hastro. The, I believe he's the owner or at least a former uh, executive. No, yes. He is the CEO of uh, team envy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Team Envy saw a lot of trouble there after a while on the Counter-Strike scene. And eventually the team parted ways. Uh, and now they're back as an NA lineup. But I think that was more of the French players wanting, you know, that French shuffle is imminent. And anytime you're in French CS, it's always a dangerous game. But from all of my following, yeah, all of my following, Hastro has always cared a lot about esports in general and just his team. And remember when we talked about the Accelerate Gaming lineup just getting mm-hmm. canned? Well, when that happened, when it was announced that Accelerate had dropped their entire lineup, Hastro tweeted that lineup, all five players, and paid for all of them to still be able to go to Fort Worth. He accommodated their entire trip. He saw it and he tweeted at them, uh, quote, tag the, tag the players and let them know I'm willing to help them get to CWL Fort Worth. Worth on my dime. I'll do whatever I can to help them get there and compete. 
So that is incredible. An owner mm -hmm. of a team that you're not even a part of. They're not even your players. Off. Yeah, and says, hey, this is awful. I'm so disappointed to see what had happened to your lineup. Let me help you. That's awesome. So it's, applaud to Hastra right there. Again, yeah, and we need more of that. Because if we want esports to grow, it starts at the top. Mm -hmm. And it works its way down. So just hats off to those who have made organizations who put players first. Mm -hmm. We are, just know that we are in full support of you. And although we might just be this small little podcast, we we see this. And it's so it's not unnoticed. It's not unnoticed. That's very true. Absolutely. Just you know, I'm going to throw Siege into the mix just a little bit. The players who are on the current G2 lineup stick together. They're literally locking arms, and they're going in, and they're saying, we're going to stick together because we know we're the best. And they trust each other. They lean on each other. They work together for a similar goal. Absolutely. And, and you lose one, you lose us all. That's, that's their mentality. I, I don't think there'd ever be a day where they say, we're going to pluck Pangu and send him off somewhere else because they made an offer. Nope. You do that. We You send all five. Yeah. We need Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So it, it's a hand in hand. I, I said it starts from the top, but we also need to see it from the bottom. So hand in hand, everybody, it's all one goal, one mission together, and that's to make esports great. Yep. So there's some examples that, can really help change these roster changes and shakeups in the future to make them more acceptable and reasonable and just a win-win scenario for both orgs and players of both sides in any type of change. Uh, I think just a quick uh, jump in this before we close up this episode, franchise play, uh, like the o Overwatch League, I think that's an incredible way to create a healthy environment for esports. And a part of me wishes it's been like that since the beginning. Uh, actually, all of me wishes it's been like that since the beginning, especially speaking of Counter-Strike and especially Call of Duty now. I just, it, there's been so many issues with the number of organizations, the number of tournaments that happen, players getting shifted left and right, and creating a city-based franchised league regulated by the developers of the game is just an amazing environment to put players in mm -hmm. for both them and the city-based orgs and the viewers especially if if when the call of duty when the call of duty world league or sorry not world league uh the franchise league begins based on cities i know we talked mm -hmm. about that being in the works when that happens if there's a baltimore team or an annapolis team or a dc team i'm buying my freaking jersey because that's mm -hmm. a team i want to support home spirit that lineup and like we said we can't they they won't expect roster changes to be as frequent because these players will be living in their cities. They will have to lock in their roster when the league begins and there'll be con you know, the contracts will actually be set in stone for some amount of time. So everything yep. I think just works better for players, uh, companies, viewers, organizations. It's just a better environment. I can't wait to see it come to call of duty. I hope someday we can see it in siege and counter strike. Yeah. So He's he's from Maryland. I'm based out of Ohio. So as soon as that Columbus or Cincy team gets lined up, Dayton, Cleveland, I'm going to get behind that roster. So there's just something to a localized T 
team that just it's something you can connect with like it's something that you can have pride in like absolutely you know i'm behind my columbus team because i'm i'm from the the great state of ohio you know what i mean he's he's behind his baltimore team because he he's from the state of maryland stuff like that it's just we see that in american sports so often um and it, be, and it can develop such a deep-rooted level of competition, you know, and it's so yeah. fun. I just remember growing up, going to my uncle's house. He was a big, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And I was a huge, you know, me and my dad are Washington Redskins fans. And we would just, you know, it's so much fun when you, like, your team scores. You're, like, yelling at the other guy in the face. And then you're there at the team mm-hmm. scores. It's just back and forth all night. And I feel like, though I love watching the professional scene of Counter-Strike and Call of Duty and Siege with my friends like you and whoever else, Kate Bushy we had on here last week. You know, it's so fun to do that. I feel like there's that level of competition we love, but there's that, like we said, that deep-rooted investment in organization we just don't have yet. Yep. And I really can't wait to get there. And, you know, not to be negative Nancy over here, but that's partly at the fault of the organization, I feel like. Mm-hmm. You know, the organizations we currently have, not keeping teams and stuff around. So I, I think franchise league play is the next step for esports. I, I think both of us believe in that. And, you know, there's the sky's the limit. So we've reached a point of conclusion here. And, and I just I just want to say one thing before we get to our ending spiel that there is so much that esports can do right and there's so much where our guys at the top can really take take this whole thing by the by the horns and create a future for esports that is thriving and great and amazing all the things that it can be but it can also be a win-win for the players and for the viewers as well and too often i think you're missing the wins for the players and the viewers as well. So it's just my call to players and organizations to really consider how does, how do you as an organization win? How do the players win? And how do the viewers win? Because if you can accommodate all of those things, you're going to create an organization that is just above the rest. Amazing. And you're gonna you're gonna change esports in so many ways for the better. And like we said earlier, it does not go unnoticed. So we might just be two people, but we see it. So thank you for those that have already done it. Thank you to those who are doing it, and thank you to those who will do it in the future for the sake of the games and for the communities that we love so much. If you enjoy our content, if you've made it this far in this episode, we do thank you again for sticking with us and running through these topics with us, running through the news with us, just getting a feel for the games that we so love and we so enjoy on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. And, you know, things that are hobbies that we care about and just devote so much of our time and affection to. So thank you for taking the time uh, in order to just dive a little bit deeper into that with us.
If you did enjoy this content and you're listening on YouTube, uh, if you would please subscribe and hit the bell icon, you'll be notified every time a new episode goes live. They go live at Tuesday at 12 noon, uh, and that is Eastern time. I haven't been saying that recently, but for the sake of uh, uh, clarification, noon Eastern if you would like to follow us in alternative means, we are on Twitter and on Instagram at the Nade Stack. Again, that is at the Nade Stack. There you will see updates when episodes do go live. Any news that we retweet, any other topics that we feel like are worth discussing, you'll see it. You'll see it there, and you'll see us sort of handle that on a day-to-day, every other day sort of basis. We're not we're not on a twenty-four-seven, uh, but we do try to make do with, with what we have. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at TNS Haterade. Again, that is at TNS Haterade. You can see other the, the other projects that I'm into uh, outside of esports, such as uh, politics and my master's studies and my um, other sort of realms that I'm involved in. Christian, where can we find you? You can also find me on Twitter. I'm currently at CDAB96. I do a lot of posting of... 3D development, animation, graphic design, uh, media, movies, music, all the different kind of cool little things, hobbies, fandom, all that stuff. Uh, Magic the Gathering, of course, we both are involved in that a lot. So if you have any interest in any of those things and just want to see my work and interest beyond the Nade Stack, you can follow me there. Christian, are there any final thoughts uh, that we can get from you uh, as we drive this episode to a close? Just that I think esports has such a bright future, and I really don't want something like this just creating a negative environment for players to, you know, be the end of it or cause an unhealthy environment. So I really hope, you know, if someone listens to this or any orgs ever hear this or what have you, that everyone, players and orgs alike, work together to create an environment that is just going to allow esports to flourish. 100%. Completely agree. And with that, Again, thank you for taking the time to listen to the podcast. We do greatly appreciate it. Um, Connect with us in the various ways. Also connect with us on Discord. Link is in the description. Should be an instant invite. It'll bring you to our Discord. If it is not, let me know in the comments. Uh, I'll get that changed, squared away as quickly as I can. As for now, for Christian Soupdow, this is Jacob Harriet Bailey. You've been listening to The Nate Stack. We'll see you next time.